For KOSU, I'm Michael Cross, and it's time for This Week in Oklahoma Politics, along with Republican political consultant Neva Hill and civil rights attorney Ryan Kiesel joining me over Zoom video conference. As the voting ends in Oklahoma, Governor Stitt has retained control of his position as leader of the state, beating out a challenge from outgoing state superintendent Joy Hoffmeister. The win comes despite opposition from the largest tribes. Neva, with more than 55 percent of the vote, was this result expected for you? Well, I think what we had talked about for several weeks was this uh, idea of these competing polls that we were seeing quite a range. And when it gets right down to it, we have to go back to what what uh, was mentioned last week when I talked about the uh, poll from the governor's own pollster and his uh, memo to interested parties, uh, which basically a week out said that, look, uh, this is a race where the governor's leading 52 to 39, according to their um, survey. And as we saw uh, on Tuesday night, uh, the results came in 52-39. So that 13-point uh, lead that uh, Chris Wilson and uh, uh, Trevor Smith with WPA uh, told uh, t- told folks, then uh, a lot of people were skeptical because there was that range, a high number from them of a, a big win for the governor, and then all of these uh, other polls out there saying that it was a dead heat horse race and would go down to the wire. So um, at the end of all of it, I mean, you have to, and we haven't really um, had time to delve into the real uh, meat of what happened in terms of who came out. But when you think about uh, going back to just sheer numbers, I mean, it's a state where 51% registration is Republican. Uh, Republicans clearly uh, came out. And I think as we see throughout the course of all elections uh, on Tuesday, Republicans uh, by and large uh, made it clear that they like the Republican brand and this continues to be a very red state. Ryan. Well, you know, I've just got to wonder if we've been in a fever dream these last several weeks, you know, thinking that this is going to be a close race. And, you know, it wasn't just me saying that it was uh, just about every other poll, with the exception of Chris Wilson's poll that that Neva mentioned. So either Chris Wilson is one of those political pundits who uh, and, you know, I like to do this myself. You make some outrageous claim uh, and, you know, that comes true. And then you seem like a genius. So I don't I don't know if he was just, you know, uh, if this was all puffery on part of his client, the governor, uh, and then it came to fruition, or if he has some real secret sauce in the way that he was doing his polling there uh, that put him, you know, basically, as, as Neva said, right on point with where the results came out. Um, you know, the, the idea that this would be close was always contingent on Joy Hoffmeister doing incredibly well in Oklahoma County, in Tulsa County, Cleveland County, Comanche County, uh, and that just didn't happen. And then, you know, and then changing some of those margins in rural Oklahoma and those things just didn't come to bear. I mean, she did really well in Oklahoma County, but not well enough. She did well in Tulsa County, but not well enough. Uh, Comanche, I think she lost Comanche County, if I if I recall correctly. And she did well in Cleveland, but again, you know, didn't sweep it the way that you need to kind of build a, a buffer against uh, rural Oklahoma voters. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, just at the outset, though, let's just say, I want to say congratulations to Joy Hoffmeister and her team. They ran an incredibly difficult campaign. Uh, anytime that you put your name on a ballot, especially for a statewide race, it becomes all encompassing. This is all you do. This is your life. This is your family's life. Um, and just being a candidate in many ways is being a public servant. So I, I want to say congratulations there. 
On the governor's side, uh, you know, Donnell Harder told me, the governor's campaign manager told me back in, in January, she said, this is a, an election about a mandate. She said, my charge is to win in the landslide, and that's what we're going to do. I was dubious about it then. I've been dubious about it the entire time, but that's exactly what Donnell Harder and, and the governor's campaign team did, and they did it against incredible uh, odds, uh, maybe not odds, but incredible forces, you know, tens of millions in independent expenditures, tribal governments all against them, you know, last night, Political tribalism won out over actual tribes. Uh, you had a, a governor who was very unpopular, allegations of scandals, uh, you name it, and they still bested their 2018 results. You got to think that that uh, emboldened team around the governor is you know, looking not just at their win last night, but thinking, well, what are we thinking about in two years? And, uh, you know, let's let's get some let's get some wagers going. How long is it before we see Kevin Stitt in Iowa and New Hampshire with this campaign team saying, Look what we did whenever they threw everything but the kitchen sink at us. Well, and let's talk about, too, the fact that this election, like many elections in Oklahoma, was nationalized. This was a Mm -hmm. referendum as well on Joe Biden as anything else. I mean, when you look at, as we talked about before, when you have a president who's unfavorable, is uh, pushing 70 percent in Oklahoma among voters, um, that's uh, something that anyone's going to use to really drive a wedge and make it clear, particularly in partisan elections, where uh, that is uh, that is what people pay attention to. It's the pocketbook pocketbook issues of inflation, the things that they care about, uh, about crime, about immigration. All of the things on the national level became things that were still being talked about in these in these races and not just the US Senate or federal races but even on the ground as people were talking to some of these candidates running for statewide office and and the you know the the negative ads against sit had to have had some effect i mean you see somebody like Leslie Osborne who's running for labor commissioner uh you know winning with you know a much higher percentage of the vote uh, in that race and you know didn't have a competitive general election so you you can kind of see that it wasn't just a gimme for the governor um, but one has to wonder if you take away all of the millions of dollars in spending, you know, from from the campaigns themselves and from the independent expenditures, all the conversation about rural schools and vouchers, take all that out. Because apparently, you know, none of that moved rural Oklahoma. I really thought that rural Oklahomans were going to you know, kind of latch onto this issue of rural schools. And apparently that didn't happen. Um, and everything that they threw at Stitt, I don't believe that voters didn't believe the things that were said about Stitt. I just think at the end of the day, they didn't care. They didn't care enough to step outside their political allegiances to their particular party. And um, so you take all that money off the table and you just run a campaign. You got two names on the ballot. I got to wonder if the results aren't pretty much similar to what we saw last night, even though we saw millions of dollars of spending on uh, on both sides. Um, it is it is kind of I think that this sense that um, you, you've got these these you, know, you you had folks that were trying to give Republicans permission to step outside of the Republican Party to vote for a Democrat, even a Democrat that had only been a Democrat for a little while. Uh, you know, J.C. Watts was out there. You know, you, yeah. you, you've got these big names and it just didn't, uh, at the end of the day, move the needle. I think that people in the Republican Party say, well, wait, if you're going to stand out there and tell us to vote for a Democrat, then you're not a real Republican anyways. Why am I listening to you? Well, you know, it's interesting, too, in the in the numbers, we've talked about would there be an impact or how much of an impact? I mean, even though they're always small numbers, would the independent and the libertarian vote be? And yet we saw the combined vote for those two folks in the governor's race under 3% total. Yeah. 
so that was definitely, uh, in my mind, a, a little bit of a surprise. I would have thought that would have been probably at least pushing twice that. Um, but the other the other point to be made, I think, just for our listeners, is the fact that while we have uh, 2.1 million uh, registered voters in the state of Oklahoma, we had a million one come out uh, on Tuesday to uh, make their voice heard. The governor's race was the race that more people voted on than anything else on the ballot, including the U.S. Senate races, although the um, uh, uh, Senate races were closely behind by just a couple of thousand votes. So people were interested in having their voice heard. And I think uh, uh, in this instance, you're right, Ryan. I mean, uh, both campaigns mounted an incredible effort um, and it went on full steam all the way to the end. And uh, and I think that it, the messaging component to this, I think as we begin to see the dust settle and everyone tries to really uh, kind of hone in and figure out what worked, what didn't work and why. There'll be a lot more things I think we can talk about down the road. But for now, the upshot is, um, as I said before, great night for Republicans, not only in the governor's race, but all the way down the ballot. Well, you know, the governor's now got to figure out how to work with the legislature. One thing I would just say just to, to end this conversation about this race is that 481,000 uh, thereabout votes voted for Joy Hoffmeister. Um, just a reminder, you win an election, you know, the governor's just won this election, he won it big, but that's 481,000 Oklahomans out there that wanted somebody else. That's not your enemy. They're not your opponents. They're our neighbors. And you know, I think that you know, we all have to figure out how to live in this state together, even though we're kind of sorting ourselves into urban, rural, <clears throat> urban and rural areas. We got to figure out how we do this together and not you know, just you know, begin to demonize each other as political opponents. And I don't know that we'll see the concept of Lincoln with his team of rivals being willing to uh, put folks around the table that uh, were, uh, you know, opponents of his, opposed him, opposed his ideas. But uh, I think that that will be something fascinating to watch is will there be an effort to really kind of uh, um, kind of slow down some of the hot rhetoric uh, among some of these groups and try to bring some folks to the table if if and when that is possible after uh, after we see the inauguration in January and, and folks really uh, kind of get back to work at the Capitol in February. So there's a lot, lot of lot of things that are going to happen here over the next few months. And uh, while we've not seen big change in terms of the faces, I think we'll we'll see some very uh, interesting debates on policy as they move forward. Despite a race many pollsters considered a toss-up, Republican Education Secretary Ryan Walters easily defeated his Democratic challenger, Gina Nelson, with nearly 57% to take over as the next state superintendent. Ryan, what happened here? I think that that's uh, you know, very similar to the governor's race. I, I think it really just comes down to political tribalism, um, that you know, we had a very stark difference in these two candidates uh, for voters to for voters to choose from uh, you know it, the difference could not have been more clear for for Oklahoma voters I I said that it was going to be difficult for Gina Nelson to talk about what's happening in schools with people that didn't have kids in public schools because it's easier for them to be I think led along by some of the outrageous rhetoric that we saw from Ryan Walters um, but at the end of the day I think what it came down to is folks walked into the ballot box and they said Ryan Walters is a Republican I'm a Republican. I'm voting for this guy. Gina Nelson's a Democrat. You know, I can't bring myself to vote for a Democrat. There weren't enough crossovers there to, to help lift her to victory. You know, the, the interesting thing for Ryan Walters now is that this guy's got to govern. Uh, he's actually got to you know step up and do a job. And this is a job that's more important than 
uh, or deserves more importance and consideration than sitting in your uh, in your in your car playing TikTok with a whiteboard. So, I mean, does he continue to do that? I mean, I, I think that in his mind that that's probably what led him to success when in fact it was just the fact that he had an R next to his name and Gina Nelson had a D next to her name um, because you know, that's he even picked up more votes than the governor, uh, which which is quite strange uh, to see that that he led with more votes than the governor did. Neva. Well, I, I think that when we look at this, you're right, Ryan. I mean, in terms of moving forward, I mean, he's going to shift from a cabinet position to now being the superintendent of public instruction. And it is a very different role. It's a, it's different for uh, either one of these uh, folks that were running for that position, both classroom teachers trying to make the leap. Um, and I think uh, in this instance with, uh, with Walters, I mean, what you heard on election night uh, in both acceptance speeches is the fact uh, victory speeches is the fact that they were talking about empowering parents. They were talking about uh, education being at the forefront in terms of what they want to uh, really focus on in the in the uh, in the coming legislative session. Clearly, so how that rolls out, I mean, um, Ryan Walters has to uh, certainly know and understand that uh, every policy is uh, not necessarily one that he can dictate uh, much of that has to come through the from from the legislative le legislative process and that's where the rubber will meet the road because some of the things that he talked about on the campaign trail uh, the patriotic training for educators where he talked about uh, wanting uh, history teachers to uh, go through a patriotic training that um, uh, course that was provided from um from uh, Hillsdale College. Um, that was something that uh, there was some conversation in the legislature last session, didn't go anywhere. Uh, he talked about uh, refusing federal funding. Um, that may be a conversation perhaps that they uh, uh, that they decide that uh, they don't want the strings attached to federal funding. But whether that uh, whether that gets any traction or is a serious conversation, uh, at this point, uh, no one knows for sure. And then, of course, the thing we talked about, I think, a number of times on the show is uh, the whole issue of enforcing House Bill 1775, something he talked about frequently, something that on all of these issues, there was great separation between the two candidates. And yet, as you say, Ryan, I mean, the, at the end of the day, the voters decided. And and what was the, really at the core of that decision? Was it uh, really wanting to see just the comfort level of knowing um, the, the Republican uh, the Republican philosophy, the Republican uh, view of governing, uh, was that the, the comfort level? Or was it uh, that they had concerns about vouchers, but all of the other concerns, starting with Joe Biden and all of the national issues that that I talked about at the outset of, of the show, were they more dominant? So uh, I'm going to be fascinated to see as we hear people begin to kind of talk and do uh, some uh, postmortem on these races, what they really uh, begin to determine took place in the minds of the voters on these particular two races. And every Republican state legislator that voted against the governor's voucher plan uh, that was running for re-election is back in office. You know, nobody lost their seat because they voted against the governor's voucher plan. Uh, so, you know, the the idea that so I think, you know, Ryan well, Walters, let's remember, the governor, there, was no, there was no vote in the House. I mean, that's, that's I mean, right. That was that's only right. the Senate side that that was a that that was an issue that really uh, uh, had, you know, had consequences and, and had some uh, dimension to it in terms of the political season for those up on the ballot on the Senate side. 
And that's well, and that's because the speaker, uh, Charles McCall, said it was a no, non-starter in the House. So I, I think that the governor, even though the governor won, you know, what may be considered, you know, a mandate re-election, uh, and Ryan Walters is coming in with a with a big margin uh, on election night. Uh, I think that they're still going to have a difficult time convincing the rural uh, Republican counterparts in the legislature to move uh, a voucher bill the way that they want. Well, and I think uh, I think I would agree with that to this extent. I think the conversation is going to be front and center. I think what we may see is some new dimension to how they roll it out and what that looks like and whether it's more palatable to voters, whether they're urban or rural or what the composition. Uh, so I, I don't know. I think this backdrop sets the stage for a lot larger conversation. And certainly a lot of lawmakers who've had to have this conversation on doorsteps for months have had to uh, talk to uh, uh, folks about uh, not only their stance, but really answering a lot of questions. This is something that is timely, something that uh, we're, Oklahoma is certainly not the only state that's in this conversation. It's going on in a bigger way nationally. I think in Oklahoma, it will be interesting to see how it is crafted in a way that really uh, Oklahomans will accept. And, you know, as we know, I mean, uh, every two years, every four years, we see these elections take place and a lot can change over time. But right now, uh, these folks are in the driver's seat. They've been given the opportunity to uh, uh, lead for the next four years in the superintendent and governor's chair, and we'll see what they do with it. Oklahoma Republicans retained control of all statewide and federal offices. The GOP won all U.S. House and Senate seats, as well as labor commissioner, state treasurer, attorney general, lieutenant governor, and corporation commission. Neva, any surprises here? No, not at all. And again, what we're talking about is just that dra straight draft down ballot. Uh, when you look at the uh, the two uh, U.S. Senate seats, uh, the fact that they easily cruise to uh, uh, a winning night, uh, the fact that in the congressional races, uh, it, it was interesting. I mean, we saw in the first congressional district, 61% uh, uh, that Hearn got. Brackeen in the second district, uh, who had not been on the ballot, someone who had been a state senator, ran for Congress when the seat opened up and Mullen moved over to the Senate race. He got 72 percent of the vote uh, against two opponents. So we saw Frank Lucas out in western Oklahoma come in with a big 75 percent. And then I think uh, uh, certainly Tom Cole and Stephanie Bice both came in with strong numbers as well. So um, I think I think, again, those races were dictated by Joe Biden and the national, uh, you know, the national landscape and what people were seeing, hearing and reacting to. And the fact that we've had a strong Republican congressional delegation and two United States senators now for more than 20 years. Ryan, why would anyone run as a Democrat? Well, you know, I think that uh, you, you might say that there, that's a really good question. I think running for office is difficult. Running at statewide offices is, is extraordinarily challenging. I think that you have an opportunity to uh, you know, to begin to shape uh, conversations. It may not you may not win the election, but you can begin to shape the conversation, at least shape it in the minds of voters uh, as you're out knocking on doorsteps and building those relationships. And then, selfishly, I think that it's just incredibly rewarding to to go out. You know, if you're running in a state legislative seat, I remember running and you know, I. You know, fifth generation from Seminole County, but it wasn't until I put my name on the ballot that I truly knew where I came from. And you you really get to know uh, where you're from, and you get to know your neighbors and um, you know the people that, you know, I, that I think that you can begin to have those conversations. I think that that's one of the last best places that democracy can take place is on the doorstep 
between a candidate and a voter. Um, the difference, what I've seen, what I'm seeing now, though, is that you can have those conversations and they can like you. Uh, but we, we do have kind of we, we're in this tribalist mentality uh, where, you know, you can't it's, it's almost like if if OSU and let's I know that we've got some OSU fans on the on uh, that listen. But if OSU were still on the path to a national championship uh, and OU were still on the path to not even being bowl eligible um, and they played in Bedlam, you're not going to get Sooner fans cheering for OSU just because it'd be great for the state to have one of our college football teams, the national championship. And we it's. Politics has almost become like that. You know, the idea of, of an undecided voter uh, is, is really almost a myth at this point uh, because, you know, they they are decided almost by their affiliation. Um, and it's going to be those demographic swings within affiliation that I think are going to be ultimately what this, until we can break out of that. I, you know, frankly, I think that the two party system, you know, furthers that uh, polarization in America and here in Oklahoma. And so but until we can break out of that. It's really going to be the demographic changes that are going to have uh, an effect on who can and can't win these races. The only really good news for Democrats on Tuesday came in Oklahoma County. Despite being a high-profile candidate, Republican Kevin Calvey fell to prosecutor Vicki Behenna, who received more than 54% of the vote. Ryan, does this help put Oklahoma County as a blue spot in this red state? Yeah, I think Oklahoma County is a blue spot. I think that uh, Tulsa County uh, is emerging as a blue spot. Um, I wouldn't say that this is the only bright spot for Democrats. Uh, you, know, you saw you know, every incumbent uh, you know, win, with the exception of Senator J.J. Dossett. We talked about him last night. The last of the rural uh, Democrats in the legislature is, is now gone. And I'm, I'm sad to see him go and thank him for his service. Uh, but you saw a seat flip in Tulsa with uh, Suzanne Schreiber picking up uh, Carol Bush's seat and, you know, a whole host of fresh new faces in the Democratic caucus. But but going back to <clears throat> Vicki and this district attorney's race, this does seem to be a, a, an outlier in terms of these uh, campaigns. And, um, you know, one has to, you know, wonder, is this was this a backlash against uh, <clears throat> against Kevin Calvey? Uh, did people not think that he had the demeanor or the, disp uh, the disposition to be a district attorney? Um, or did Vicki Banner really sell uh, voters on her mission as district attorney? I, I don't know that we'll know that for sure, uh, because I, you know, Vicki Banner was outspent, um, and Kevin Calvi had been working this race for a lot longer than she had. Uh, so that, that, you know, turns it, you know, it, there's going to be some interesting as we pull this apart to figure out, you know, how did Vicki do this? Uh, that's going to be some, you know, interesting roadmap for Democrats in Oklahoma County. I, I, you know, congratulations to, to Vicki Bahanna. She's the, the first new prosecutor uh, in Oklahoma County in over a decade. Uh, I think she has an incredibly exciting opportunity now to set a new culture with prosecutors uh, and to begin to pursue policies uh, that I think, you know, improve public safety, but also seek out justice. So I think it's going to be exciting in Oklahoma County to have a new face in the DA's office. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll see her make her mark uh, on that office over the next several years. And even this didn't flip the seat because David Prater was a Democrat. In fact, we were all surprised in 2006 when he did the exact same thing to Wes Lane, a Republican who was an incumbent and should have won the race. So it's a right. little bit of a surprise, but it is Oklahoma County and it's a DA race. Well, and and it's interesting. I mean, for what we for what Ryan was talking about earlier about tribalism and the fact that we can't break uh, party uh, party rank uh, to uh, cross over and vote in a race. This one this one really speaks to the fact that out of all of the county courthouse races, uh, Vicky Bahanna, the Democrat, won 
and all of the incumbents uh, it, it, that were in in office were reelected, and then the open seat that had been held commissioner seat by a by a Republican was retained by a Republican. Mm -hmm. So in this instance, you had a hundred thousand more votes cast for Vicki Bahanna than you did Kevin Calvey, and that's out of the two hundred nineteen thousand plus that were that were voting in in that race. So. It would appear, I mean, on the surface, you would have to you would have to make uh, at least the initial case that that voters were paying attention enough to the race that they had formed opinions on both candidates and that that was uh, that was something that impacted the outcome of the race. It, they didn't. Uh, Republicans clearly, um, even if all of the Republicans that had gone to the, uh, the the polls in Oklahoma County, when you look at the fact that. Republicans held all of their uh, all of their seats in Oklahoma County, and some of them were hotly contested this time. I mean, this was a this was a one election cycle where Republicans were really uh, trying to shore up. We talked about some of those races that went down to the wire, and ultimately, given the fact that the Republican leadership and others made sure that their resources were there to make sure their members came back, the job got done. But uh, in this instance, I think uh, this almost looked a little bit like a nonpartisan race to some degree in that people were paying more attention to um, what the what the what the job was all about right. than they were strictly just the politics of the job. So um, it, it it was a fascinating, fascinating race. And I think in, in the instance of Kevin Calvey, let's remember, he had a hard fought primary, went into a hard fought runoff. And then came into a hard fought general. So a million dollars spending or whatever that number uh, winds up being uh, for him. I mean, he had a long, rigorous uh, campaign season where Vicki Bahanna did have the advantage of going straight to the general. And there's something, you know, certainly something to be said for the fact that she was able to build her coalitions, do clearly what she was doing on the ground to build a constituency and get her message out, even though a lot of folks weren't paying much attention uh, through the course of the uh, kind of campaign season until we got right to the end and we saw this battle on the airwaves back and forth that really kind of caught people's final attention if they hadn't paid any attention at all to that point. A hundred thousand point plus spread is just stunning. I mean, mm -hmm. that's that that's a stunning uh, victory in uh, a very competitive race. The state legislature appears to stay mostly the same as it heads into the 2023 session. Democratic incumbent Senator J.J. Dossett lost to Republican challenger Dana Prieto, but Democratic House candidate Suzanne Schreiber defeated her GOP challenger to win the seat vacated by Republican Carol Bush, who went on to win as corporation commissioner. Nina, your thoughts on this result? Not not a surprise. I mean, uh, as we always talk about in elections, you always have uh, these uh, races. There'll be one or two that pop up that no one kind of expects it winds up the way it does. In this instance, I think the Senate picking up the one seat uh, from J.J. Uh, Dossett, it may just be the math of more Republicans in the Owasso area, which is predominantly Republican registration to begin with, may have been the difference there. Um, and then in the in the instance of the House, uh, where the Democrats picked up the one seat uh, that we've talked about, you really had basically um, what had been a fairly, I think by all descriptions, moderate Republican, you know, uh, flipping to uh, a liberal uh, Democrat uh, by, I think, the 
by anybody's uh, estimation. And so there wasn't really the the shift in terms of what the voters had been used to or were looking for. It was just the R and the D changed in these two races. And um, I think when you look at the overall makeup, House still overwhelmingly Republican, 81 to 20, the Senate 41 to 7, I believe it is. So uh, you have a strong Republican-controlled legislature coming back with a Republican governor for a second term. And that will be where we launch into the the uh, legislative session next year and see what that holds. Ryan. Well, the G Governor Stitt, you know, may have wanted some more Democrats elected to the legislature. They might have been easier to deal with than the Republican majorities that he's had difficulty with in his first four years. Um, but you know, I, J.J. Dossett's loss, uh, you know, I, I you know, mentioned last week on the show that I thought that um, that that was going to be a competitive one, competitive one and one to watch because J.J. represented uh, a portion of his district was still rural and uh, you know, a lot of there aren't any other Democrats. I was one of the, the last Democratic uh, House members from rural You Oklahoma. and Joe Dorman. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, is we, we are it. And uh, then you've got, but then you've got, uh, you know, Senator Dossett now is out. Um, and I think that when you look at somebody like Senator Dossett, yeah, I think that that just kind of, you know, begins to support this idea that I've got that it doesn't really matter at this point in this election. It didn't really seem to matter a whole lot about what you were saying or what you were doing or who you were. Uh, because uh, Prieto, uh, Senator-elect Prieto, who got elected, a relative newcomer to the district uh, compared to the Dossett family that's been there for generations and is known and kind of beloved in that area as education administrators that, that go back decades. Um, and you, know, it, you couldn't have had a better candidate running for re-election in that spot uh, than Senator Dossett. You know, some other bright spots, though, uh, you know, I was uh, I spent the evening at the uh, watch party for my state senator, Julia Kirk. You know, she uh, won re-election uh, handily over her, her opponent um, in, in that race. And, um, you know, Carrie Bloomer, I know we're talking about legislative races, but just to backtrack yeah. to Oklahoma County, you know, Carrie Bloomer, you know, won big uh, and is going back. Uh, and you know, like I said, there, there are a handful of new Democratic lawmakers coming into the legislature right. this session. Um, and we have a truly aligned uh, party now where, you know, I think more and more metropolitan districts are going to be competitive for Democrats. And, you know, few, if any, rural districts immediately, at least, are going to be competitive uh, for Democrats against Republicans. Um, I don't think that that means Democrats should give up on rural Oklahoma by any means. Uh, but I really you know, see that you've got to figure out how to how to break through that uh, that wall that exists there. I don't know what that magic is. And, and, and if I did, I'd tell somebody, but I, I just don't know what it is right now. And Eva, well, I do you... want to mention that also that although we talk about the seats haven't flipped because of term limits, there are still going to be a whole slew of new faces. Uh, even though the seats didn't technically flip, there is a whole bunch of new Republicans, and Democrats coming in, which makes a big difference in 2023. That's right. And, you know, when we talk about, uh, you know, the Democrat and Republican advantage, disadvantage, I mean, let's remember, I mean, Democrats for decades and decades uh, were in control and their registration. But I wasn't around then, Neva. Was I, I, <laughs> I want to be in charge. <laughs> <laughs> maybe true, maybe true, but uh, I think we have to keep some historical perspective here that it has, I mean, that that it does shift. Uh, the shift is long in coming, and, uh, and to the degree that uh, Republicans have enjoyed where we are today in terms of uh, the majority, 
again, all politics is local. And um, we talk about every political season as it starts to unfold, that it is about uh, it is about the the candidates meeting the meeting the voters. It's about people showing up not only to run for office, but showing up to uh, decide who they want to elect to office. And then ultimately, that's how the process works well. And I think, uh, you know, the takeaway has to be from every election night for me is the fact that that, that we've seen democracy work. And I think that's that is the thing that we have to instill in uh, Oklahomans, just like uh, Americans, that there is a reason to participate in the process. And uh, the, the more participation, the better, because it more reflects all of the uh, all of the state, and we saw that nationally in many of the races as they began to unfold uh, in many of those U.S. Senate and congressional races. So um, it's it's uh, I, we get a lot of negative because of all of the just the kind of this the uh, the pile on of the negative advertising and the independent expenditures and all that takes place, uh, particularly in the closing stretch. But when the dust settles. I think what we can say is uh, it, the system worked. I think uh, we can say once again, from an from a, an election standpoint, that we have one of the finest uh, election processes and state election boards in the country. They did their job well, and uh, they should be applauded. And all of those folks who volunteer and and do a thankless job uh, to uh, be the the boots on the ground, so to speak, to make sure that we can have the smooth process at every one of those 2,000 plus precincts across our state when we conduct a statewide election. And as the dust will talk more, women, yeah, yeah. Now all these men and women head to the Capitol to, to do the job. Yeah. Uh, and so. Yeah. And we'll, we'll talk more about that as well. So I want to talk about, we'll talk about uh, turnout and things like that next week, but uh, there's a lot more, there's a lot more to dissect with this election but we just don't have all the time in the world uh so we will talk about more about that next week uh, ryan and eva's comments do not necessarily reflect the views of kosu its staff or management programs like this are made possible through support from kosu members who are listeners like you consider a gift to kosu in support of this week in oklahoma politics at donate.kosu.org